Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us on the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is still in quarantine, but he reports that he's doing better. So, Jim, after the weekend, we should be good to go here, right? That's what it's supposed to be. You know, onset of symptoms. Eh, I'm going to count back to whenever I feel like. <laughs> when can I get out of this guest bedroom? But, uh, no, all is well. Excellent, excellent. Well, hopefully somehow they're slipping food under the door for you. You sound good. Uh, we've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. And the good news is surprising news. Uh, we were expecting a pretty dismal January jobs report as a result of uh, all the uh, havoc wrought by the Omicron variant, people not being able to, to go to work and uh, staffing issues and all sorts of problems. Turns out that's not the case, not at all. Even though the private sector report from earlier this week looked dreadful, down about 300,000, did not translate to the overall jobs report. Rick Santelli on CNBC giving us a lot of the details. We now have data popping out for the January employment report, and it is much better than expected. 467,000. 467,000 multiples of what we were expecting. And if we look at private payrolls, 444,000. Manufacturing up 13,000. The unemployment rate up to 4%. So it did move up one-tenth from 39 to 4%. Month over month, average hourly earnings, a whopping seven-tenths. Year over year, 5.7 big numbers and maybe the best news of all. The labor force participation rate, which has been stuck at 61.9, remember, it was well over 63 pre-COVID, 62.2, it popped three-tenths. Also, Jim, previous months revised upward significantly. December, which was originally reported at 199,000, went to 510,000. Uh, November went up from 249,000 to 647,000. So uh, a lot of uh, revisions in the right direction there. Biden is on the television right now taking credit for this. I'm sure if the projections had been right and we had actually lost jobs, he'd be out there taking responsibility for it. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, uh, the, the other thing that I really liked here uh, is that in breaking down where the jobs came from, leisure and hospitality easily leading the way with 151,000 net jobs added. And hopefully that means we are emerging like the groundhog from this pandemic. First of all, Greg, my, I'm, my first thought was like, man, Rick Santelli talks about good economic numbers the way I talk about it, like the Jets when they win. <laughs> Those numbers popped. Right up three tenths of a percent. Did you see? You know, I kind of go. Let's watch <laughs> yeah. that in slow mo. Yeah. You know. um, and and you know, look, the president is entitled to take a victory lap over this month's numbers. And it's worth also noting that some of the last couple of months' numbers got revised upward pretty dramatically. So, I, I, one of the things that comes out of this is, you know, maybe Omicron and or the supply chain issues and things like that make measuring the performance of the economy a little more challenging now than it usually is. Uh, we're seeing some pretty big revisions going on from month to month. And generally, very generally speaking, in terms of job creation, the numbers are pretty darn good. Now, we still have a whole bunch of gripes on inflation. We still have a whole bunch of gripes on gas prices, food prices. Um, 
whether you know your purchasing power is what it used to be and things like that but the, the, the job creation rate has been good and you know i'm glad santelli spelled out the point that like i will live with an increase in the unemployment rate percentage going from 3.9 percent to four percent if it is accompanied by a you know as he said a pop in the workforce participation rate that's really even what's been uh unnerving and troubling uh in you know both both during the pandemic and actually even before the pandemic this idea that there were a surprising number of people of working age who were physically capable of working but who are not in the workforce now if they're like you know going back to grad school or something okay that's something if they're taking care of an elderly relative okay like, there are factors that in which people can be leaving the workforce that are you know not so bad but there's also the this vision of Americans sitting on their couch and collecting unemployment and playing video games or smoking dope or, or doing things like that. And some people aren't, you know, who could be out there working or not. And that is a bad sign for society. The Wall Street Journal had this terrific uh, long feature item on this a couple of weeks ago. So all in all, these are pretty darn good numbers. And we will always cheer good economic numbers, regardless of who the president is or regardless of which party is perceived to be benefiting. Um, I do think that the question is going to be, um, okay, we've, we've got the job creation part going. What is going to be needed to manage the inflation effect on this economy? Because I think if you ask people, how are they doing? The good news is people don't say, oh, nobody's hiring anymore. Uh, in fact, it's been quite the opposite. As I you know, keep observing that like, that, you know, almost every place you work seems to be saying, oh, we're hiring, you know, not only are we hiring, please, please apply within, we're short staffed, please be patient. And that seems to be a, uh, a major factor in this. So if you're getting people back off the sidelines, getting people into the workforce, creating a lot of jobs, all good news and all good reasons for Americans to be feeling good this morning. Yeah, definitely right. A uh, couple of grains of salt to throw in on that, of course, though. You mentioned inflation. Uh, the 5.7% wage growth year over year is very, very good, especially compared to where we've been in the past couple of decades. It was pretty flat, uh, but it's not keeping up with inflation. And so, just like you said, I think that's why some folks aren't feeling it as much. But without that rise in wages, the, the inflation punch would be felt a lot harder. Also, Jim, I'm just wondering if how many people who are still employed were out sick, and so they had to hire other people. And so whether that will be reflected uh, in the next couple of months, whether some of those people might not be kept. But um, that's that's speculation, and let's not dump any, any more cold water than we need to on this. But like you said, uh, regardless of who's in the White House and how much credit they do or don't deserve, we're going to be happy that the American economy is improving. And if you're worried that we're going soft on Joe Biden's economic uh, track record, just wait till the second martini today. <laughs> Trust me, it's not going to be not going to be very rosy. Uh, but in the meantime, look, whether you're looking for a job, whether you are just uh, looking for a birthday gift, a Valentine's Day gift, that's coming up soon, of course. Uh, whatever you're doing online, you don't want everybody snooping on you, whether it's your own family members, whether it's your search engine or anybody else. The solution is ExpressVPN. This is the way to protect your online activity. Did you know that your internet service provider knows every single website you visit? And what's worse is they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. But ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. It's, there's just no better way, no smarter way to keep track and to protect your uh, online activity than ExpressVPN. And it's super simple. 
And the best part is using ExpressVPN could not be easier. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you are protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by Mashable, The Verge, and countless others. So if you're like me and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself today by visiting expressvpn.com martini today. Use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash martini, and you will get an extra three months of protection for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we promised that Joe Biden would get his comeuppance in the, the bad martini, and it is certainly well-deserved because the administration, Jim, has decided, you know what, we need more COVID funds, more funds to fight COVID. The Congress has already allocated over the Trump and Biden administrations nearly five and a half trillion in COVID-19 relief. But uh, as Ed Morrissey points out over at Hot Air, and he quotes reports to back this up, nearly all of the money in a key federal program to boost coronavirus testing, therapeutics and vaccines appears to have been committed or already shelled out, raising the potential that the Biden administration may have to ask Congress to approve additional aid. In total, the figures focus on roughly $350 billion, earmarked specifically at the Department of Health and Human Services since the start of the pandemic in 2020. That includes funding under, under President Trump and the more recent provision of $80 billion as part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that President Biden signed into law last spring. So Ed Morrissey busts out his calculator and goes, OK, $80 billion out of $1.9 trillion only 4.2% of the COVID stimulus, the COVID relief, Jim, went to the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, other places you can spend that to, to help with the process. But like we said, well before this was passed, because people had taken a very close look at this, this was COVID relief with very little actual COVID relief. And now that reality is hitting home. Yeah, and it's worth noting that when the COVID-19 relief bill that was passed by Biden and pretty much entirely congressional Democrats at the beginning of the year, or beginning of 2021, there really was not any indication of, oh, and we're going to need some by January 2022. There was no indication of more needs. This is only going to last us a year, all that kind of stuff. This was considered, many people expected, the last major spending bill that was going to be needed specifically to address the COVID-19 pandemic. Biden wanted to do Build Back Better, various other congressional Democrats wanted to do Green New Deal and stuff like that. But this was supposed to be the last big spending bill to deal with the pandemic. And here they are roughly one year later saying, oh, wait, we're going to need more money. Um, it just feels like the administration's response throughout all this while spending massive amounts to money, uh, of money when it comes to the actual problems and where the, you know, the, the uh, money could be most effectively spent and where it could have the biggest impact. Uh, directly connected to the coronavirus, it feels like it tends to uh, be a, always a day late and a dollar short, even for all the money that they're spending. Uh, the, the testing issue comes to mind, and the fact that we needed a hook of a lot more instant tests than we had uh, back in really November, December, when the Omicron wave was picking up, than we do, uh, and we of course we didn't have them. And of course, eventually the government placed these massive orders for tests. They apparently apparently people are starting to get them, which is great. Uh, I would point out, and obviously the condition I'm in indicates the Omicron wave is not over. 
Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that we are, you know, you look at the, the numbers across the country, we're definitely in the downslope. Um, if you had to pick a peak, you'd probably say something like January 14th or so. I'm looking at the New York Times chart. The new cases were 933. There were a couple of days where it looked like it went over a million, although I think it may have been uh, backlog of cases being recorded on certain days. On, on January 10th, they said they were at 1.4 million, things like that. Um, now, as of today, uh, there are 312,000 new cases. By the way, since I never called my doctor or any local health officials, I guess technically I'm not in there. Um, probably lots of people, instant tests. They see the pink line, at least on the tests that I have. Um, and so they stay home for five days and they don't necessarily end up in the official time. So these are all probably undercounts. But the gist is we're now less than half of what we were at the peak. Uh, that big red line that was going up very fast in December and January is now going down very fast. Is it good to have all these tests coming out to people now? I guess. Like I said, people are going to still need it. But it just feels like another example of administration that is always playing catch up, that is always by the time they come out to the solution to the problem that emerged like a month ago, we've moved on to a different problem. The, the, uh, the problem of this virus is emerging at the speed of a mutating variant. And our response is moving at the speed of bureaucracy. Thus, we are constantly several weeks to several months behind of what where we need to be. It's when you hear all this talk about their, I, I suspect the drug makers, in some cases, you know, generously uh, supported by U.S. taxpayers, are coming up with a great Omicron variant specific vaccine. That's great, except everybody probably already had Omicron by now. <laughs> we already have our uh, our antibodies building up against it. So. All in all, it just feels like a very familiar story of a federal government when faced with a, a huge problem says, let's throw a lot of money at it. Well, you did that and it didn't really work the way you wanted. And I think everyone could say, while the vaccine rollout was really nice, by and large, the Biden response has not been the smooth sailing and certainly nowhere near the shutting down the virus that Biden promised. So maybe we need something different than just let's spend another, let's take another giant spending bill and uh, hope that that solves the problem. Well, Jim, since you're on the lam from the uh, the government and knowing about your COVID case, uh, let me tell you what would have happened. Because when I had it back in September, I went through one of those drive-through deals uh, for the confirmation after the home test was positive. And so pretty quickly, you get an email uh, or maybe even a text. Actually, I think it was probably both from the uh, state health department uh, telling you not to go anywhere and tell people, you know, if you if you were around them recently. Uh, and then they even call you to ask you what resources you need, which is kind of nice if you actually needed that sort of thing. Uh, but they don't send uh, the government like E.T. to your house and just wall off your entire house in plastic, although some people probably would have preferred that. There are a bunch of guys from Hawkins Lab who said, yeah, we've dealt with this thing before. You're going to be fine. Or, you know, we're from the federal government. And we're here to help. Come out with your hands up. You know, kind of <laughs> so where did the rest of the money go? Well, Ed Morrissey's got that, too. Stimulus checks, extending unemployment bonuses, state and local aid to the tune of $350 billion, housing aid, paid sick and family leave, education and child care for $125 billion, and roughly $47 billion in small business loans and assistance. And out of that state and local aid, $42 billion alone to California. I wonder if they have any um, influential people in the Congress that can get that done. So, Jim, uh, yeah, out of $1.9 trillion, $80 billion uh, to the HHS. Just unbelievable where the rest of that stuff ended up going. Greg, the things we need to do are the things we've been doing, and that time is now. <laughs> As our wise vice president from California illuminated for all of us. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, Jim, glad to know that you are on the mend, but whether you are dealing with COVID or you just need a good night's sleep, sometimes you just get in a rut and it's hard to get the quality sleep that you need. And a great way to make sure that you've got the best opportunity for good sleep is to have a great pillow, great sheets, even good towels and slippers. And that's where my pillow can come in because there's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. I love it when we got the freshly washed Giza Dream Sheets from MyPillow on the bed. Feels so, so good. So the first night you sleep on the Giza Dream Sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. And right now, MyPillow's got a phenomenal deal on the sheets. For a limited time, you will receive 60% off on any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99 when you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. The Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton. The sateen weave gives it a luxurious finish. It's available in a variety of colors and sizes. Machine washable, 60-day money-back guarantee, a one-year limited warranty. It's also got the 4-inch hem on the flat sheet and the pillowcases. And that fitted sheet comes with deep pockets, so you won't have to fight against your mattress to get that thing on. So right now, save 60% off with the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener's square and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $39.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. These will be gone in a flash, so head to MyPillow.com promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, turns out there's another influential person from California in our federal government. She's the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, of course. We don't agree with her on much, and I think we're kind of a mixed bag on her today as well. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wishing our athletes well in their competitions as the Beijing Winter Olympics kick off. And she's also telling them, Keep your mouth shut when it comes to criticizing the Chinese Communist Party. She's actually said it a couple of times now, and here was the first iteration. I would say to our athletes, you're there to compete. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they are ruthless. I know there is a temptation on the part of some to speak out while they are there. I respect that, but I also worry about what the Chinese government might do to their reputations, to their families. And she said the same thing again a short time later. As I say, as I wish the athletes well, I do not encourage them to speak out against the Chinese government there because I fear for their safety if they do. So, Jim, it's nice that she's uh, calling out the uh, Chinese Communist Party for being unstable and willing to crack down on people who say the wrong thing. But, uh, you know, depending on the political situation, uh, she encourages athletes to speak out all the time. But just like with the NBA, when it comes to China, all of a sudden we got to muzzle ourselves, you know, for your own good. Yeah. You know, when, he, when you first pitched this topic, I was like, ah, you know, Pelosi's always been pretty good on Uyghur genocide. Surprisingly good, considering how much we disagree with her on other issues. Uh, in fact, way back in May 2021, she was among those proposing a diplomatic boycott. And in her remarks at a virtual hearing on China genocide in the Olympics, she was saying all the right things. So I was pretty surprised. But then, you know, hearing that audio there, it is entirely possible that Nancy Pelosi reasonably believes that if a U.S. athlete came out there and said free the Uyghurs or free Hong Kong or 
end slave labor in China or, or something like that, or it came from a lab, check out the cover issue of National Review. Um, any of those things, which, you know, and yeah, of course, Winter Olympics, you just blurt that out. Uh, but if they had that, honest, you know, not only would like they cut the feed, um, they could get arrested. They could get put into some prison. They could get abused. You know, all kinds of terrible things could happen to them. And yes, it would be a major international incident. But I think it's pretty clear China doesn't feel obligated to play by international norms, international rules, laws, uh, fear of losing future representation at the Olympics or anything like that. I mean, this is an utterly shameless regime. And I, if her words had only been a warning to the U.S. team that China is not like other host countries. And if you speak out in a way that they deem offensive to them, threatening to them, or simply unfavorable to them, the U.S. government simply doesn't know what they're going to do to you, but it's probably not going to be good. And the U.S. government may at least for a while have limited leverage to get you out of the country uh, so they're not dealing with that. I couldn't help but notice NBC is not sending most of its usual personnel over there. Uh, a lot of the announcers are going to be watching a live feed the same live feed, the same feed that you at home are watching. They didn't send them there. And I kind of wonder, did NBC feel like it's just safer to keep our people from ever being on Chinese soil where we have to worry about getting them out of the country if the Chinese government decides they're really mad about something they said? Um, but the way she said it, it really seems like she's discouraging it. And I don't see how she or anybody else could say this amounts to letting China win. This amounts to letting China say, yeah, we don't like it, but we're intimidated by you. We don't, you know, we don't feel it's worth the trouble, so we're not going to. We're, we're going to tell our athletes not to speak out about things that we know are true, and that's a moral compromise. And it's a moral compromise that I don't think should be acceptable. So at first, I thought Pelosi was getting too much grief for this, but hearing her words and the way she put it, yeah, I think she really is saying this. And I don't think she would ever say to Colin Kaepernick. Don't speak out too much. This could really cause you some problems with the NFL. Or to Brian, Brian Flores, you feel like you've been racially discriminated against in the NFL hiring process. Don't speak out because we don't know about the consequences or something like that. She would not say that in these other circumstances. So what she's advocating, while it may genuinely be the best option for the safety of U.S. athletes, like, in the end, if you don't think U.S. athletes are going to be safe over there, we really shouldn't be sending them there. And that argues maybe we should have had the U.S. team boycott because if you're afraid that the host country is going to throw your people in jail for speaking their mind on live television, then that country never should have hosted the Olympics at all. But that's a good question for the National Olympic Committee, which, by the way, in today's morning, Joel, I took a look at. Greg, did you know that like a huge chunk of their membership are, honest to God, kings, queens, emirs, uh, archdukes, um, and, and other folks with official royal titles? Not surprising. Yeah, I, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. This is not a crowd that's going to stand up for democracy, huh? <laughs> no, that's a lot of that's a lot of autocrats there. Monarchists are not really big fans of you know standing up for the little guy. Exactly. I think it's probably a combo uh, effect on why NBC's personnel aren't there. Uh, I am a fairly big tennis fan, and ESPN didn't send anybody uh, to the Australian Open. They had a couple of uh, people who are Australian who they had on site there, but everybody else was hosting from their studios in Connecticut. Uh, even Chris Fowler and John McEnroe were just there by, in front of the green screen and, and then watching the live feed. So, um, And I think the Chinese have pretty much uh, ruled out any live audiences, kind of like the Tokyo Olympics last year. So uh, if you're expecting a huge ovation uh, after the uh, figure skating uh, performances, 
<laughs> it's just going to be an echo of like a coach clapping in the in the background or something like that. But yeah, I, I'm going to forgive me for not attributing this. I saw it on Twitter the other day, and it's it might, it might have been Kirsten Soltis Anderson. Uh, okay, but whoever it was, they basically said in the future the Winter Olympics should be held in countries that have two things: one, natural snow, <laughs> and two, freedom. And that like seems like a good, simple rule to have moving forward. Yeah, you should have mountains. That would be uh, important, too. And uh, China is you know, throwing all these events all over the place. Uh, Jim, the greatest Winter Olympics of all time, probably 1980 Lake Placid, Miracle on Ice, phenomenal defeating of the Soviets. The ones I probably remember the best are from Lillehammer in 1994. Forget the whole Tanya Harding uh, fiasco. It's just a fun Olympics uh, to watch. Sarajevo was great, too. And Obviously, it was mm. probably the last time Sarajevo was uh, in a really happy place. But uh, anyway. Uh, David Letterman's mom might be the greatest Olympic correspondent <laughs> of all time. Exactly. Exactly. Mom, how was it today? It's very cold, David. We didn't go out very much. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. We sent you halfway around the world at great expense. That's right. Stay in the hotel. That's fine, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go USA. I uh, hope we do bring uh, all, all the gold home and, uh, and put the Chinese to shame, at least on the uh, field of competition, if not on the field of international uh, uh, diplomacy here. So, Jim, uh, rest up. Feel better over the weekend. And uh, see you on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They definitely help with our placement on uh, internet searches and so forth. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Launch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. American Conservative Union Chairman Matt Schlapp joins me to discuss his new book on how to defeat the woke mob and stand up for the values that make us great. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Schlapp explains how the left's insanity is confusing and corrupting our kids and what we can do to protect them. I'll also give you an update on the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Join us. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.